Hey everyone, welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast, where we cover everything from crypto finance to global macro. I'm your host, Leslie Lamb. In this episode, I am joined by Gabriel Anderson, Managing Director of the Tachyon Accelerator Program, powered by Consensus Mesh. This conversation is truly a bag of gems. We cover the mechanics of getting growth, traction, and users for early stage companies, what a lockbox is, understanding DAOs as a coordination and resource management mechanism, the concept of a digital co-op, and culture hacking in Web3. Also, what does Gabriel mean when he says, you have to get the vibes right? Well, let's find out. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Gabriel, welcome to Crypto Unstacked. It's so great to have you on the show with me. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you, Leslie. Great to be here. I am honored to have you with me today. I think you are the first person from the Consensus family to be mm. on the podcast. And many people know about Joe Lubin and the rest of <laughs> the platform. Consensus has grown into a monster in its own right, having yeah. produced a ton of really innovative teams and products. And today we're going to be focusing on your unit, if I can call it that, uh, which cool. is yeah. Consensus Mesh. And you're going to be talking about the Tachyon Accelerator Program, which you lead with a few others on the team. And so just a brief one-liner on Consensus Mesh for our listeners who might not be familiar. Consensus Mesh takes Web3 projects and companies from zero to one, helping them become venture-backable businesses. So Gabriel, I'll turn to you. What was your zero to one story? What made you a believer <laughs> of crypto? So I've, I've been a multi-time founder, three-time founder, two-time entrepreneur. I actually went in-house in a couple of times. I started building companies you know, in my early 20s. You know, I'd come out of finance, spent years of a misspent youth in, uh, in traditional finance, Merrill Lynch, institutional finance, cash management. You know, and that was kind of like my my dream career. Quickly became disillusioned. You know, decided this is not at all finance is not at all the the dream of what I thought it was going going to be. My dream quickly turned into a nightmare. But I I'd been a founder even before that. I launched my first company when I was seventeen. It was a small little webzine called OCPartyScene.com. We ended up selling uh, to a company called Lycos. Lycos ended up getting acquired by AOL if I remember back in the, those days. But my first real company, I, you know, I started my, my first company uh, after leaving finance, went horribly wrong, did, didn't, did not work out super well. From the ruins of that company, I started my second, and then, and then similar story, you know, I, I didn't quite find product market fit there. Uh, and it was the third company um, around the prop tech space called Real Solutions Inc., where I, I had finally gotten traction. The second company, I'll, I'll give you just kind of a fun little story there. So I started a, a private real estate investment partnership with a couple of, you know, my, my first couple of LPs were just people that I had known from, from Merrill. You know, I started that company just as, just at the beginning of the 08 financial crisis, <laughs> which was a real estate uh, generated crisis. So, so literally, literally the worst time to start a private real estate investment partnership. Um, so in, in terms of market timing, not great. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, it was it was Real Solutions Inc., uh, you know, the, the prop tech company that finally got traction and kind of took off. And I it was it was the first time that I experienced like what, what product market fit really felt like. 
we, we ended up exi exiting from that company. I, I came to New York. I met a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk via Twitter and to go in-house for a couple of years. And so you know, I had the great pleasure of, of building companies within the VaynerX ecosystem. Uh, we built a media property, scaled up to hundreds of millions of MAUs called uh, Vayner Publishing, which today is called The Gallery. Um, I started our, uh, our SMB uh, business within that ecosystem, which back then was called VaynerBeta. Um, now today it's called the Sasha Group. We turned that into a, a 10 million run rate business. So, you know, I, I'd kind of been playing around, you know, this like social media marketing. I've always been the growth engineer, growth marketer in, in all my businesses. Uh, and, uh, and so, I, again, similar story to finance. I, I was just starting to become a little disillusioned. Um, I was the person who was taking all of your precious first party data inside of Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and et cetera, and then using that to build growth funnels and growth you know, mechanisms for the, the various startups that I was building or, or, or working with. So I had this good friend, Sean Chang, who was at Consensus. He'd been uh, at Consensus about a year prior. You know, I had run growth for a number of our incubated companies where, where Sean was the, the, one of the partners in the fund. This was 2017. <clears throat> so, you know, if you remember crypto back in those days, crypto was kind of taking off, the ICO boom was happening, and Consensus was looking to bring in somebody to kind of, kind of who had specialties in early stage growth and acquisition, uh, you know, customer development, business development to really help them with their incubated projects. And so Sean and I would get together for dinner and we'd talk and we'd talk about crypto and I was highly skeptical of like ICOs and stuff like that. And he was the person of like, well, you know, I think you should check out this white paper. I think you should check out, I think the Ocean Protocol white paper was the first white paper that I read. I just started thinking about all the new and interesting business models that could come, uh, you know, from, from this ecosystem. So yeah, I, I joined Consensus, uh, you know, end of 2017 going into 2018 and ended up taking over um, Tachyon as the managing director, which is our, our uh, you know, our accelerator for the most ambitious Web3 founders and been in crypto ever since. So that, I, I guess that's kind of the origin story, if you will. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, Sean also worked for Vaynerchuk as well. Yeah, so Gary back then was a, a still is an early stage investor, and he used to have a fund called Vayner RSE. And so Sean was one of the partners for Vayner RSE. I had built uh, our growth engineering uh, division and team. And so we were running growth for a bunch of the incubated companies that were within that portfolio. So yeah, Sean and I have been friends for a long time, and he's the one that pulled me into crypto as well when it was uh, when I moved over to Consensus. Nice, nice. Well, for every early stage company, one of the main questions I'm sure they ask you is, how do we grow traction, right? And you mentioned mm. really early on when you uh, started that private real estate fund, how despite yeah. the market conditions, which was absolutely terrible at that time, you <laughs> still were able to find traction. How did yeah. that work? Like that must have been a combination of magic and skill to find traction during <laughs> the market crisis. Yeah, traction ultimately comes down to having a compelling product in a compelling market uh, and being able to solve a real problem, I think. Um, you know, whether you're a Web3 founder or even a Web2 founder, you know, everybody likes to talk about product market fit, but all successful companies are built to solve a problem. What I like to say to our founders all the time at this stage, you know, I've probably mentored and advised north of 60, 65 Web3 companies, many of which who have gone on to successfully raise and or exit. And what I tell them all the time is the difference between 
uh, like a project, like a hackathon project, and a startup <laughs> is a customer or a user. And so at the at the center of all the technology that we build, there's always a user on the other side of it. And it's one of the things that I'm I'm absolutely obsessed with is how do you think about uh, how do you think about your users, your your early adopters, and build something that's really compelling about about them. So before we even like start talking about like traction, how do you find traction? You first have to solve a compelling problem for your users. And so um, you know what we what, what I like to talk to our founders about is um, the what what I like to call the lockbox. The lockbox to a successful startup is having a good problem in a growing market with a differentiated solution. And so, like, if you look at if you look at starting with just first principles, like, uh, you know, how do you build a successful startup? And I've built all kinds of startups. I've built high growth, uh, you know, venture backed startups. I've built um, lifestyle businesses. I've built agencies. I've built I've you name it. I've probably built it at this stage. Yeah. Um, but um, but fundamentally, if you get back to first principles. You know, um, you start with finding a, a a good problem, and a good problem has both insight and it has mm. intensity, right? So, what's the problem that your startup is addressing? Um, who has this problem? How often do they have it? How painful is this problem for this particular set of users? How expensive is it for for them to solve? What insight do you have into your users and the problem that they solve? Like, even if you look at something like. Unis I love Uniswap. Uni you know what what Uniswap did now with V3, but in the early days of V1, having a decentralized automated uh, market maker allowed me to easily easily move from one token to another token without having to uh, interact with a with a mm. with a middleman, right? Um, and they did so at a very, at a, a very cost efficient uh, way, and so that created liquidity between between tokens. It solved a real problem, right? So all startups, again, fundamentally start with solving a compelling problem. And then once you have a good problem and you have some kind of insight and, and, and an understanding of the intensity of that problem, um, you know, the next thing is to have a, a differentiated solution. Is your solution you know, an advantage relative to my, uh, my options or the market's options in that particular ecosystem? You know, do you have an elegant uh, way of, of solving that problem? Or do you make your users jump through you know, 50 different hoops in order to, you know, solve the actual problem uh, that they're trying to solve. Um, so, you know, a, a good solution, your startup should be differentiated uh, and it should be advantageous relative to the to my options in the market. And then the last piece is just, you know, are you operating in a, in a big enough market? There are two ways that I think Web3 startups should think about their market. You can either go into a very large market, a multi-billion dollar marketplace where your solution, your technology, blockchain is a uh, is an unfair competitive advantage in that large market. And that will allow you to carve off a small piece uh, of the market. The other way that you could go, which I think a lot of Web3 founders can and should go, especially in the early days, is um, finding a really small market that they can get a lot of growth within and grow with that market. DAO tools right now are, you know, are really the hot shit within, you know, Web3, and, which is great. But if you look at like the early days of DAOs, like a year and a half, two years ago, it was a really tiny market, but it was a really tiny market with, with users who were really, really passionate about decentralized autonomous organizations. And that market was growing really, really fast. One to 2000, you know, per percent annual compounding growth rates. And so, you know, if you're a startup operating in a market, you want to look at like, what's the size of the market? How do I get into this market? How do I introduce my product in this market? What are the, sh what are the big macro shifts and, cha and changes that are driving large markets? I think once you have those three things down, 
the mechanics of how you get growth and traction and users is very easy, <laughs> um, right? It, but, it, but, if, but if you don't have those three things, you know, an identified problem, a compelling solution in, in a um, fast and growing market, all the tactics in the world aren't going to work in terms of getting traction and growth for your project, for your, for your particular startup. Mm, I really like that. I had Axie Infinity on in my previous episode. And one thing that Jiho, one of the co-founders of this game mentioned was how Axie Infinity found community market fit before product market fit. And I actually think that's something that's unique to crypto, the power of community, which the word itself might be overused by a lot of people, but nonetheless, the concept is often so core two projects finding product market fit. Have you found that in some of the companies that you guys have advised and, you know, incubated through the program? Yeah, as a a matter of fact, um, you know, companies that really want to have a a differentiation and unfair competitive advantage in the market, I think Web3 has has two unique uh, moats that are different than Web2 startups. Um, One is composability, we can talk about that if you want, Uh, but the other is community. Um, and you know, I, the, the holy grail of web three, uh, is, um, you know, your, essentially your users are the same as your investors are the same as your, right? Like you, you start to tie those two worlds together. And I think a community, a strong community is one of the things that starts to create the real tangible use cases of that vision. So much of our ecosystem is built around um, open source and you know sharing our technology, keeping our technology open. I think companies that find and can build community, one, that are really good at building in public, and then two, mm-hmm. um, using building in public to start to build the, the early strings of their community, build the early strings of like their culture, uh, you know, and the culture that they're creating within their community is a massive differentiator, you know, to the projects that, that don't end up succeeding in our purview. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's dig deeper into that community aspect because I think you have a lot to say there. So one thing that I I, I read somewhere, it must have been a post, uh, was how you're inspired by Jesse Walden and yeah, yeah. his thought on community building. So yeah. his saying is community building is the new co-op, right? And and yeah. this inspired you to think of something called neo co-ops in yeah. Web three. Break that down for us. Yeah, I, I, I wish I originally came with this idea, uh, but it was a combination of like, I was reading a lot of, I love Jesse and I, I love, uh, you know, what they're doing at Variant. I was reading a, a bunch of stuff, like uh, stuff that he had written. I also love his uh, framework on progressive decentralization. I think that makes a lot of smart, uh, sense for early stage companies. Um, but I'm always looking for, um, you know, what's analogous? What are we building in Web3 that's analogous to what we see in Web2? And this idea of, of co-ops is, uh, really interesting to me, and so the so you know I, I just kind of like lifted this term neo co-ops um, as a way to try to explain uh, what I was thinking or or what I'm what I have been thinking, which is essentially it's a combination of what we were just talking about, right? Like um, you know how do you build how does your community become your first initial users, but also your first couple of investors? And there's a couple there's a couple of elements there that I think are, are really important. Um, like if uh, so, I'm I'm based here in New York, 
um, right? And so we have these things called co-op boards. Like you can live in a building where the members of the, of the building, um, the residents, are also co-owners of that building. Um, and that, that introduces all kinds of new elements. Like how, how do you think about governance for that particular co-op? How do you, th- you know, how are we going to operate with one another, right? Um, how do we coordinate uh, one another? And so as I start thinking about like Web3 and some of the, the primitives that we're building and the introduction of these primitives, what's the analogy of analogous world of what we're, what we're building, for, building for and what are the tool sets that, that we're going to need? And this whole idea of Neo co-ops was just that. How do we introduce DAOs as a coordination and resource management mechanism on top of making uh, the early members of our community also early shareholders, letting them participate in the value that they help uh, create and coordinate, who are also incentivized to be uh, uh, you know, our most boisterous early beta testers when we lo- roll out new features and, and products you know, within the protocol, within the product, and then who also have uh, an incentive to want to share this particular product with their users so that you can kind of hack a viral word of mouth. It's just this idea of like, what does a, what does a, a, a digital co-op start to look like if we abstract away, you know, the, the, um, the physical domain and introduce some of these new coordination tools via our, like our, our Web3 stack. So that was, the, that was kind of like the, the whole idea around Neo co-ops. Very neat. Have you introduced the concept of a DAO to anyone in your building, or I guess, is your building a co-op, or are you just generally speaking <laughs> My about? A co-op. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think we have we have a couple more turns on UX uh, you know, <laughs> b- b- before we could we could bring in uh, you know maybe the the old guard, but we're getting there. We're getting there. But, but you actually raise an interesting point. Like, how do you start to introduce people to these these new um, you know these new tools and these new primitives? It's one of the reasons why I, I've been so excited about NFTs. I, I know we're going kind of through an, an NFT boom right now. Uh, this first generation of, of NFTs is probably the least interesting to me. I, like I've already seen, I've seen this play out before. I saw this play out in uh, in the early days of social media, right? Like in the early days of social media, when social platforms first started coming on online, um, you saw a lot of companies, you saw a lot of brands, a lot of businesses that just tried to take like their shitty print publication that was in the newspaper and <laughs> and slap it on a Facebook post and call it a day. Um, as opposed to using what was native to that tool and creating content and or experiences or, or consumer journeys that was native to these new social media platforms. The same thing is happening with NFTs. Uh, you know, we, we basically just took art, we put it on the blockchain, uh, which is great. And it has some killer use cases, you know, sovereignty, you know, is, is an obvious one, you know, N equals one um, assets uh, is another uh, one. Uh, but what I'm really curious about is um, what happens as as teams, as founders, as projects start to utilize the inherent advantage of NFTs, which is the programmability, and introduce or and or continue the consumer journey or consumer experience, and then what mm. happens when those NFTs now converge with other parts of the Web Web three ecosystem like DeFi, um, you know, like DAOs, like data DAOs, etc. That said, back to your original question. Why I'm so excited about Gen 1 of NFTs is because it was the first thing where where normies could look at what was happening and go, oh, I understand that. Because it it was so, NFTs have become so deeply embedded into culture. And Mm -hmm. what it allowed is it allowed the Web3 ecosystem to culture hack 
as opposed to you having to like understand the complexities of like a DeFi protocol and wait, what is yield farming? What's happening here? Or what, you know, having to understand the primitives of like synthetic assets and, and understand why DeFi might be a better better use case, a better mousetrap for something like synthetics, especially with like perpetual swaps. Like that's super heady. And unless you come out of like traditional finance or something like that, it's really hard to wrap your head around what's happening there. Um, mm -hmm. but, but gen one of NFTs, even though I think it's the least compelling version, gen one of NFTs was the first thing that normies could look at and go, oh, I get it. I understand. Right. I understand what's happening. And so it's, I think that's kind of, that's, I'm, and you're already seeing it. I think that's the gateway drug into, into web three. Okay. So let's take that stance, right? Gen 1 of NFTs isn't that interesting, but it opens up the conversation to what is possible when you try to leverage the technology of NFTs to understand what is possible within crypto, such as decentralized finance. Okay, yeah, yeah. so this then goes into the financial applications of yeah. NFTs, which I imagine will be the sort of second phase of NFTs, uh, where the ones who survive and also the infrastructure that gets built out around this new sort of sub-asset class, yeah. enabling the unlocking of liquidity in historically illiquid assets, that being art, right? Unless yeah, yeah. you had a private wealth manager who can tell you this is how you should appraise your art and the, you know this can be used for this amount of collateral to take out you know x amount in loans unless you went through that laborious process and you wanted to do that your art's sitting in a vault or it's hanging right. on a wall right? right and so it's the portability of nfts that really just captures the attention of a lot of people who want to be using art in this way through finance one what are your thoughts there and two maybe we can bring in some projects perhaps uh, through tachyon that you've incubated or are generally looking at right now who are building in, in this part of the space yeah, definitely. So I think you're hitting on an, an important theme. We saw this with the uh, the first, really the first killer use case of crypto, which is DeFi. The reason why DeFi took off is because it surfed on top of a larger macro trend, which is the financialization of basically everything, right? Mm -hmm. So like, as we've been making, you know, more and more uh, cycles around, you know, what I would call maybe FinTech 2.0, um, with each generation of that cycle, you see, um, you, you see the abstraction of like cost layers. You see the abstract, like you see the removal of all the friction from the financial system and and, and marketplaces, which ultimately makes financial tools more accessible to the masses. And it's why I think DeFi took off so fast is is because civilization is we're starting to experience the financialization basically of everything where now you know culture and finance and you know and and human behavioral psychology tools are all starting to meld together and, and creating these virtuous loops these virtuous ecosystems um the reason why that's so important is because nfts is now like the second leg of that equation which is like the memification of uh, these financial primitives. So now if all of a sudden, I, you know, if, if we know we're surfing on top of a larger trend of what the financialization of everything, and now I also introduce culture and, and the memification of, of those things into the mix. Now I'm, I've just created kind of like this, uh, this melting pot of, uh, like really interesting, you know, 
um, mon- the, like being able to monetize culture, being able to, you know, n- not only culture hack for the sake of culture hacking, of being kind of like, you know, uh, playing the brand perception game, but now I can, qu- I can turn it into a real quantifiable value. And so um, it's it's like two massive trends that are that are kind of converging at the same place. Um, so yeah, I a hundred percent think you're going to see uh, you know this convergence more and more of this convergence of things like um, you know NFTs and DeFi, um, NFTs and gaming. I think that you were, you were mm-hmm. just talking about you know Jiho and and what's happening over at Axie Infinity, which is probably one of the most exciting projects in the ecosystem right now. I'm really excited about what they're doing. NFTs and um, social money, uh, you know, or social tokens. You know, what happens when all of a sudden individual creators can tokenize themselves or their body of work and then unlock that value via DeFi protocols? Um, and then that transaction value can surf on top of like layer two uh, protocols so that, uh, you know, they can move that value around their, their economies even faster. We're going to see some like really interesting and weird things that are taking place as all of these technologies start to converge, but it's because they're surfing on top of what I think are two really big mega trends, which is the fi- the financialization of everything and the memification mm-hmm. of our financial assets and financial primitives. So, you know, at this stage, we've invested in and incubated in uh, north of 65 uh, companies and founders. You know, if you look at um, some of our previous companies, uh, you know, like our, our third cohort was a hundred percent DeFi focused cohort. We backed companies like idle.finance. We, we backed companies like transact. We backed companies like outlet.finance, PyDAO, um, you know, so, and so many more. These were kind of like the, you know, the, the first early cases, um, of, uh, of DeFi. Um, I think some of these companies have, have become important primitives or important, uh, pieces of of the lego stack of the composability lego stack and now we're starting to see companies get built on top of that so and like in this particular cohort for example you know I've, there are a couple of companies that i think are doing some really interesting things you know i would highlight a company there's a company um in this particular cohort called clam island their vision their their mission is to make yield DeFi yield uh farming accessible by abstracting away the complexities of DeFi yield farming uh, using a gaming function. So um, users don't even have to know that they are yield farming. Uh, all, they, all that they really know is they're like playing this, this, uh, this game. Uh, basically, mm-hmm. the, the, the game is uh, you collect these, these clams, which are NFTs. Uh, these clams, uh, you know, use, um, uh, th- these clams uh, can produce pearls. Uh, and then those pearls can be staked into the into the protocol. So the NFTs have real financial value, but you as a user don't have to really understand them. I mean, you can you can look at the mechanics of of what you're farming, uh, but you're you're playing a game. Um, you know, so I like I'm really excited about a company like that. I'm excited about we have a company in this current cohort called Chester. Chester is amazing. They are uh, they're solving the distribution problem for NFT drops and NFT artists through a, a gaming uh, or a discovery distribution mechanism. So think about um, you know NFT based loot crate where the users, the collectors, get to unlock a chest and discover you know what NFT they just unlocked. There's guaranteed you know minimum minimum value for each NFT, but with the chance to potentially win you know a a premium NFT like a Bored Ape, like a CryptoPunk, etc. Mm-hmm. So they can bundle up distribution from all of these NFT artists 
um, who are looking to you know bootstrap their their NFT launch and 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 get to uh, you know get start to bootstrap their their economies, their ecosystems, their their users, the collectors via Chester's gaming mechanism. But Chester is now starting to think about again getting back to my earlier comment. Um, how do you create these unlock experiences? and then use NFT programmability to continue the consumer journey based on the NFT that I just unlocked. Yes. Um, so what does Gen 2 of mm -hmm. NFT start to look like? I think that's a really exciting concept when you start to think about programmability and NFTs and what those next couple of use cases are going to look like. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, one <laughs> question that was just so much yeah. that just within those two projects. Quick question on that last project, though, right, where yeah, they're yeah. dropping a treasure box of sorts that you then open up and you said they're able to guarantee minimum value of this mm -hmm. nfts that would necessitate that someone's a buyer at a certain yeah. price right yeah. so how does that work the the mechanics yeah. of that yeah great great question so the way, the way that it works is they've essentially created a community of collectors and the entire community they all help participate in uh in these drops so that allows them to do two things Number one, they can collectively uh, distribute to their ecosystems. So if I'm an NFT creator, you know, maybe I only have 50 you know, uh, people in my ecosystem or, or what have you. But when you start to string those together across 100 NFT creators in, in, a, in a cohesive drop, you can start to move distribution at scale. But then the second thing is that, again, they're like a collective. They're like they're an NFT collective or a co-op, a neo co-op, if you will. Right, and so the Chester community will all participate in any drops uh, to to make sure that they help establish and maintain the floor of uh, of the community's collective drop. So you know they're they're mm -hmm. hacking the collective or the community in terms of both distribution, but also trying to to help hack the uh, maintaining of of the floor to create a baseline or a floor marketplace for their collective drops. Is this project right now in, in beta or is it already out for yeah. use by the public? I, I'm going to shout them out. Uh, you can go to Chester, C-H-E-S-T-R dot I-O. Uh, they just had their Genesis drop. It launched over the weekend, sold out. Uh, so congrats to the Chester team. They did a phenomenal job. We're doing this podcast too late. Uh. I know, <laughs> but but they have th their next drop is coming shortly. So if you go visit their website, you can sign up for. Uh, you can either join their Discord. They they have a phenomenal community. I mean, it's large. It's growing. They are very supportive. They help support their artists. Um, just a. a I don't want to name drop anybody, but they've got also got just some spectacular people within that community. Uh, they, that, that team did it to your earlier comment, which was spot on. They did a, a really, really, really strong job or good, great job in building that, that community first. They found community founder fit before they found uh, product mm. market fit for sure. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but, but yeah, that's, that's a, that's another project that I think is, is really, really exciting. Um, we have a, I mean, we have 20 companies in this, in this cohort. We don't have to talk about all of them, but well, actually one that I thought about when we were talking about the kind of like the, the financialization of everything is we have a company called, um, Niftify, which is helping, especially with high-end NFTs, uh, they built a platform for fractional ownership. So, you know, they're really trying to attract them, the most valuable NFTs, uh, and then building a fractionalization platform so that you can do things like collective ownership. So what happens when like a Flamingo DAO and like another, you know, NFT based DAO gets together and they want to go in on a 
I don't know, a $25 million uh, CryptoPunk or, or a $100 million people or something like that, uh, you know, or, or what happens when you collectively, you start creating these collective groups of like Christie's uh, or Sotheby's artist communities that now want to collectively come together and own a, you know, an NFT. They can do so using something like Niftify's platform, which makes it very easy to fractionalize those assets. Mm. So yeah, lots of exciting what I would call Gen 2 NFT use cases, companies that are starting to think about the convergence of NFT and gaming, NFT mm -hmm. and DeFi, NFT and DAO tooling. Yeah, really, really exciting stuff. Well, let's talk about these other trends. Uh, gaming okay. <laughs> is for sure on top of people's minds right now. There's a phrase now called GameFi. Right. Oh, yeah. uh, that has taken <laughs> off because of this intersection between new types of in-game economies meshing with traditional game models. And I read a piece by a group called the Floating Point Group. They just came out with this piece. Maybe it was yesterday oh. or today uh, on the growth of the crypto gaming sector. And one of the points that stuck out to me was this idea of value, right? Value in crypto gaming, they say, is a blend of traditional gaming value and access to cash flows. Oh, yeah. How do you define value in <laughs> the current set of crypto games that you see today. Um, oh, man. Or if, if that question is too broad, how do you think about the economic value of crypto games in this sort yeah. of Gen 1 as well stage that we see today? Yeah, I don't know. That, yeah, that's a, that's a big question. Yeah, how do I? I don't know. How do I think about it? I think, um, well, value is perceived, right? So, so uh, prices, I love that Warren Buffett quote. I think it's Warren Buffett. I hope I'm uh, attributing it uh, correctly. Price is what you pay. Value is what you get. Value is always in the eye of the beholder. And I think one of the really interesting things with Web3 gaming uh, companies is they can, they can produce value both intrinsically and, and extrinsically. So I think extrinsic value is the really easy one, right? Like, do you have a play to earn mechanism? Can you do something like Clam Island where you can introduce, you know, yield farming into the gaming ecosystem? Uh, that's all, all about just like, you know, uh, monetary value. Um, but I think the other uh, other part of, uh, of value is, is intrinsic value. Uh, and I think this is something a company like um, Axie Infinity really found, right? And, and which is why I'm so excited about what they're doing, is intrinsic value is all about how do I feel about this community? You know, it's all about the vibes, right? It's yeah. all, it's, 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 it's about the vibes, right? Like, am I a part of a community? You know, um, you know how do I feel about this community? So I, I think, um, I think we've, you know, we're starting to, what's really cool about the crypto ecosystem or the Web3 ecosystem is even though it is a, uh, you know, a technology driven ecosystem, so, so much of what we build is about, is, is the community and like trying to uh, help people access community and be a part of the community. And there's every kind of flavor of community. And so I think, um, you know, a lot of these, a lot of the Web3 native gaming platforms are the ones that have the the extrinsic uh value figured out but mm -hmm. then they also have the intrinsic value the vibes <laughs> i'm taking that from now on when people talk yeah. about community <laughs> the, <laughs> make sure you get the vibes right <laughs> get the vibes right you got to get the vibes right you know it's I, I think that is that's really an important part of of uh of the the ecosystems that win mm-hmm 
So then taking something that you spent a lot of time talking about earlier, which is, you know, about DAOs, how do you think about the fusion of crypto games and mm. DAO governance? Because that's another oh, man. <laughs> that's being played on right now. Well, so I, this is going to be very abstract, uh, but um, I'll try to I'll try to bring it down after being a little abstract. I mean, if you think of uh, if you think of what um, what coordination and incentive design is, it, it's ultimately gamification, right? If you think of what like uh, creating, in other words, um, let's let's leave DAOs out of it for a second. I'll bring DAOs back mm -hmm. into the mix. But if I want to. Um, you know, if I work at a company and I want to incentivize my employees to do certain behaviors, right? That's that's an incentive design, um, and then I can I can uh, I can get that incentive design by gamifying it, uh, right? So if I can introduce a gamification element, all of a sudden now you and you see this with like um like sales organizations or you know or you know companies that are that have found product market fit and now they're like really going through that growth flywheel mm -hmm. um they 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 will have their their growth teams they will have their they'll incentivize their growth teams they'll incentivize their sales teams via some kind of gamification a leaderboard you know there's a you know a bonus which is basically just a prize you know if you kind of abstract it away and so um I think ultimately all coordination and incentive design can be bootstrapped via gamification. I, I've been obsessed with this idea for a while. We we had um, in our last cohort, Filecoin Launchpad Accelerator uh, One, which is powered by Tachyon, we had a phenomenal uh, founder, a guy named um, uh, Leon from Underscored Labs, which ended up getting acquired uh, by Chainsafe. Funny enough, um, wearing the shirt. And I became obsessed with the gamification uh, with gamification being used as the front end for whatever mechanism design that you're you're trying to or incentive design that you're trying to uh, trying to create, I would talk a lot about how games, especially during COVID lockdown, games became the new third place. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the work, home, and the, all of our third places are disappearing, uh, and so video games have become like these new third places. And so you can start to imagine a world where we use games and, and gamification as the front end for all the coordination that we want to do with things like DAOs uh, or incentive design with things like DAOs. It's why I was so obsessed when I, when I saw the Clam Island team that we were just talking about. It, that was just such, a, such an obvious and compelling business to me, which is abstract away all the complexities of DeFi yield farming through a front-end gaming engine. Well, what if you just took that gaming engine and you you figured out how a way to integrate it into all the things that you want to happen within DAOs, right? Mm. And so I'm not I'm not now working for a DAO. I'm just playing a game, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So g games are all about coordination and incentive design, which is the same thing with uh, with companies and organizations. It's the same thing with I mean you could. It, that's all it is. I was a growth engineer and, and building companies back when um, you know a farm Farmville came around. Imagine if you were playing Farmville, but really what you were doing is you were farming NFTs or you were um, you know farming likes within your community. You could start to introduce a gaming mechanism to almost any incentive that you want to uh, design for. 
I think we're going to see a lot of this, especially as more and more of the world starts to move into things like DAOs or more and more of the world starts to move into move from offline into online ecosystems. I think really smart communities are going to figure out how to hack gamification of those communities and introduce gaming environments or gaming front ends uh, for the, the incentive mechanism design that they want to uh, optimize for. Mm -hmm. well, I think this segues beautifully into the last part of our conversation here, which I've reserved to talk about the metaverse. And I'm so glad you talk about oh, <laughs> the third space, right? And you, yes. you, you talked about how, you know, in today's digital economy, it's redefining how we live, work and play. Uh, yeah. in so many different ways. And, you know, this metaverse concept seems to have picked up steam in the past couple months, but it's really been around for decades, right? Yeah, Neil yeah. Stevenson introduced this in his book, Snow Crash, back in 1982. Uh, but that was during the pre-internet days, right? Yeah. Um, you know, pre-dot-com -pre mm -hmm. days when not many people cared about it. And it was really just this fantasy. But I think today it seems like we're closer than ever to discovering the many, many possibilities of a metaverse future. So let's begin this part of the conversation by having you tell our audience what's your definition of the metaverse, and then we can kind of go into a few other descriptions of it. The metaverse is just the, the, the digital tertiary layer that sits on top of uh, our physical world. I have an Oculus 2, for example. The Oculus has created this entire metaverse world and ecosystem um, that I can step into. And, you know, I'm in the physical world, I'm in the physical domain, but I have this tertiary layer that has been, you know, uh, it, that's being beamed into my retinas, uh, creating this whole <laughs> digital experience that sits on top of the, you know, sits on, sits on top of the physical world. Um, you know, but, uh, I think these Web three ecosystems are going to start to become, you know, metaverses. I think um, the the you know the the so anyways that that's my definition of of the metaverse. And maybe we'll start there. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was probably one of the most simple definitions I've heard of the metaverse. Um, you know, Zuckerberg said something like it's the next iteration of the internet or something, but that's still a little bit too vague for me. But yeah, this tertiary layer of the physical world or the digital tertiary layer of the physical world D that we live in yeah that's... yeah layer that sits on top of the physical world yeah sits on top yeah. of right right so one of the companies that has really been big in driving forward this metaverse concept is epic games right they're very very big in the traditional gaming world and tim sweeney who's the ceo of epic games said in an interview from last year i'm just gonna quote this part because i think it's really, really great. He said, I think it's really critical as we build out the metaverse and build more and more open platforms out of what are currently just one company's game, that we should ensure that we're opening up all part of it, all parts of it to competition, ensuring that the best competitors can survive and win, even if they're competing direct with some core business of Epic or others. This is not a normal way of thinking for a game company, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, these new crypto games that we've been talking about, Axie Infinity, for example, they're introducing this concept of play to earn, giving ownership to users, uh, something that is a completely new idea that takes away powers from developers and gives it to users. 
And this is something that a traditional gaming company is actually pushing forward. Yeah, I love that. What? Yeah, what are your thoughts on his mindset here? Yeah, I, I think it's extremely important. Um, so especially somebody who came out of Web 2.0 world, I think he, what, here's what makes me nervous. And, and, I, and I'm even nervous for uh, Web 3 right now, what I'm seeing. What I'm terrified of is we are simply replicating these Web 2 silos that we just came out of or that we're all trying to help disrupt. We've seen the social media silos and platforms many of us grew up on um, who were making these opaque decisions about who and what content could exist in the public square and, and whose fitness algos uh, were incentivized to keep us in these eco chambers and keep us in these silos, drumming up you know, all kinds of distrust and dystopia and you know, all for their financial gain. And I do not wanna see Web3 replicate this. Um, I think it's extremely important that we collectively work together to, and I think composability is an important part of it, but like I, I would really press a lot of the builders within the, the, the early versions of, of Web3 metaverses to really push the boundaries uh, to help accelerate you know, this metaverse and the connectivity between these ecosystems to break down the silos um, and to make it very easy to create portability across mm -hmm. the various ecosystems as they introduce their native gaming mechanics into their ecosystems. I, it is, I think if, if we replicate what, you know, a Facebook or a Google or an Apple, if we just, if we create, you know, a, a Bored Apes ecosystem that's a silo that doesn't, you know, move over to Zed Run, shame on us, shame on us, right? Like it, that absolutely terrifies me and, um, and I, and I think it's really, really important. Um, we actually have, we have a company in this current cohort, uh, phenomenal developer, a guy named uh, Sam Ba. Uh, his company is called Zero X Essentials. Um, they, they just launched, um, uh, we met him at a hackathon. He launched an early prototype or early proof of concept called Crypt Orchids, which is trying to create, um, it's, a, it's a, 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 a plant watering game on the blockchain. Uh, but what he was creating is he was creating NF it was his first proof point to create NFT standards for portability across the metaverse. In other words, the watering contract didn't sit inside of the CryptOrchids ecosystem. It could be used by other developers as a standard if you wanted to have a watering a plant watering contract for your particular game that could move across the metaverse. So that was his first proof of concept. His second proof of concept, which he just launched, uh, I think two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, is called Rasslers, um, W-R-A-S-S-L-E-R-S, uh, which is a wrestling open metaverse wrestling federation, where if, let's say, I own, I know, it's, it's, it's absolutely, it's hilarious, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Leslie, do you know how difficult it is to explain to my parents what I do for a living? <laughs> so, clams, treasure boxes... Orchids and whatever you just said, I can't even remember. Rasslers. Rasslers. Uh, I, uh, I, this this year's Christmas dinner is gonna be very weird. <laughs> okay, oh, I'm gonna get through this without without laughing. Okay, 
Uh, yes, he launched a, uh, an open metaverse ecosystem ecosystem called the Rasslers Federation, which is a is a uh, he's building a metaverse uh, ecosystem to help bootstrap the NFT standards where these where these uh, NFTs can go across can be ported across the metaverse. And so let's say that I own a board ape. Um, I can bring it into the Rastlers Federation and wrestle against a Zed run. Uh, and so it's an ecosystem now with, where two um, NFTs from two different platforms can now come into one place. Uh, and, you know, he's trying to introduce a, like a fun little wrestling gaming mechanic to try to give NFTs these utilities, but to help create the portability standards for NFTs to move across the, the metaverse. I, I think it's it's really, really, really important that we get this right or we're going to screw this up All and right. do exactly, you know, what, what our predecessors, you know, these Web2 platforms have, have done with these closed silos. So what does wrestling mean? Like when my NFT wrestles with your NFT, yeah. what is that utility exactly? It, right now, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's just a fun... It's literally, um, oh God, I'm trying to remember the uh, 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 the old game. Um, it, it's ba- it's basically like my board ape comes in to wrestle your, you know, whatever, your crypto punk, um, and uh, using, uh, you know, y- using a, a chain oracle, a, a randomizer, um, he's able to, you know, run a script basically of like, you know, okay, so my crypto punk just clotheslined your your board ape. Uh, and then they lose a hundred, a hundred uh, health points. Uh, and then you know your your uh, uh, board ape now responds and throws me off of the top line, right? So it's using a, a random generator on the back end uh, to run a script of like uh, how our different cryptos are now wrestling one another. Um, so it, it it now creates a fun game. You obviously are not going to lose your. Your hundred and fifty thousand dollar crypto punk. So you know he's tra- we're trying to now he's figuring out now what's going to come next. What's the next version of this? What's the next iteration of this? But but ultimately he's trying to solve two, two problems, which is one you know how do you create um, utility for these NFTs so that they don't just sit mm-hmm. in your wallet, uh, mm-hmm. which which is fine if you're a collector and you want to you know ha- collect these things or flip them or you know throw them up on your on your Twitter bio for for the ultimate flex. You know, God bless. Go, go for it. Uh, but he wants to try to bring utility and function to these NFTs, while at the same time trying to build um, a set of standards where we can port these um, these unique assets out of their silos and across the metaverse, and 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 have true portability across the metaverse. Mm. <clears throat> I'm just imagining someone's art block <laughs> NFT, which is a squiggle. Throwing a punch across a bored ape's face because it doesn't necessarily have to be like a like an avatar, right? Like literally, some of these NFTs are just blotches of things, and, and I have hilarious. no it's idea hilarious. how they're going to do this. But, anyways, yeah. that is super exciting. What you yes. do is is basically like you get a peek into the future of the Web three space, often yeah. one one and a half, two years ahead of time, right? Not every project is going to make it. Unfortunately, I think that is the reality. Sometimes they combine. Sometimes they 
fall to the wayside, but then have another proof of concept a year later, and then that becomes, you know, the next big thing, right? Uh, so it's it's not to say that there's no place for failure in early stage type programs and incubators. Like that's really what it's for, right? Is is to kind of prove the the, the growth and for you guys to help through that process. So I'm just so excited really to learn more about that part of the space because like quite honestly, a lot of the projects and companies that I speak to are those who have come quite far already past the test net, past mm. mainnet. They're in this space of, okay, we've gotten through the first phase, let's call it, yeah, right? Yeah. We're ready for the numbers to grow, right? Yeah. We have already developed a product. We have yeah. found product market fit, you know, in a lot of the cases. And and now we're ready to really grow our addressable market. But there are so many other projects out there that I think are worth highlighting because a lot of the concepts are what get experimented on. And that's what turns into the sort of mainstay primitives that we interact with today in DeFi and then, you know, broadly speaking within crypto. So as we wrap up here, I just want to give you the, the space and the time to talk about any other questions that are still running through your head about some of the topics that we discussed today, or if you generally want to talk about what's coming ahead yeah. for Tachyon, feel free yeah. to do so. Yeah, I always have more questions. Um, and that's, you know, I think one of the, the things that I love about being in Web3 and Web3 Web, uh, Web and crypto is um, it is one of the most intellectually stimulating ecosystems I have ever been a part of. You know, the, the people, you know, within our ecosystem are amazingly smart, intimidatingly smart. Um, and and the, the ecosystem moves so fast. Um, it's just a constant flurry. So I, you know, I, I always have more questions. I think I, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to, uh, you know, learn from, from, you know, the various people within our ecosystem, people like you and people like, you know, all, all the various people that, um, you know, that, that make up this amazing, you know, Web3 ecosystem. In terms of, um, in terms of Tachyon, yeah, I'm really excited. So we are, uh, you know, we're in our, our fifth cohort. This cohort is in partnership with Protocol Labs, makers of uh, Filecoin and IPFS. Um, you know, they're, uh, they're halfway through. Their demo day is going to uh, come out uh, it's the in second or third week of September, I believe September 17th. Uh, it might get moved to September 20th. Uh, but the, the, uh, we're really excited for these 20 companies to, you know, to come out of the accelerator and, and showcase what they've been working on. Uh, you know what they've been building for 12 weeks um, and maybe actually that's a, a good context so anybody who wants to um, attend demo day uh, we'd love to you know have them you know you can just go to mesh.xyz slash tachyon which is spelled t-a-c-h-y-o-n um, i think we have a form up on the website where you can uh, um, uh, give us your information and we'll uh, we'll send you um, a, uh, an email about demo day to get in get access to demo day um, you know, we'd obviously love to have a ton of people um, see these 20 companies as they emerge. Maybe just a little context on Tachyon for your listeners. For those that don't know, um, Tachyon sits inside of Consensus Mesh, as you pointed out. Um, you know, collectively, we've incubated in and invested in more than 100 companies, 100 projects, um, some, some of which who are some of the key pillars within the Ethereum ecosystem, companies like Infura and MetaMask and 3Box and Pegasus and Truffle and Gitcoin and Decrypt and so many more. Um, Tachyon is an accelerator. And so for those that aren't familiar with, um, with what an accelerator is, 
you know, we uh, we work with um, the most ambitious early stage Web3 founders. Uh, we've we've uh, been doing this since 2017. Um, we have over 70 active uh, found uh, sorry 70 active companies in our alumni network. Uh, over 110, 115 founders in total. And so what we do twice a year is we bring together the most ambitious Web3 founders for an intense 12-week sprint to help them hone their value proposition, um, test their assumptions with real customers, and prepare for the next phase of investment and growth. And so um, the way that we do that is it's a 100% remote program. Um, we give uh, companies a little bit of seed capital so that they have you know, the capital that they need to work on this full time. We give them one-on-one -on -one mentorship uh, with a vast global network of Web3 builders and entrepreneurs and investors and lawyers and um, you know, all the people that you need access to as you're going from that really early precious zero to one stage. Um, and then we give them programming so that, you know, we help them figure out where they should be focusing on to validate their ideas, validate their assumptions, you know, as they move through, you know, becoming a, uh, a high growth, you know, venture backable, if that's the, the path that they want to go, a venture backable mm -hmm. business. I think one of the things that really differentiates Tachyon in the ecosystem is uh, Tachyon was built by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Every single person on Tachyon, myself, uh, all the way down to our uh, associate, we have been founders, we are founders. And so we know we have been in the trenches as, as entrepreneurs and as founders um, building companies. And so outside of the seed capital, outside of building a community and a network for early stage founders, building companies really hard. It's, it's really hard and it can feel really lonely sometimes. Other than maybe like your co-founders, if you have a co-founder, only another person who has been a founder knows what that feels like and knows mm -hmm. how difficult it is and knows what those tough days feel like. Um, and so, you know, I think we've done a really good job of building a really strong community of fellow builders and founders. Um, but also we just, you know, we've been in the trenches. Like our, our advice to founders is not theoretical. We didn't read it on some blog. We're not VCs, you know, we're not investors. Um, we do, I mean, we invest in these companies. We're giving you capital, yes. Mm -hmm. But we're, first and foremost, we are founders. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I, I, I love founders. I really do. Founders are my people. That's my tribe. Um, you know, anybody who's crazy enough to, you know, um, to go and try to start a thing, you know, against all the odds. That, th those are my people. Uh, that's my tribe. And so I love founders. I love working with founders. Uh, I love helping them and I love helping them get from zero to one. And, and many of our founders come out of Demo Day, you know, more than 60%, 65% of our founders end up raising their next round of capital coming out of our accelerator. And I think, I think that really speaks to one, the, um, you know, the quality of, of Tachyon, but two, um, you know, the, the quality of our founders. I mean, we, you know, we really try to support the most ambitious Web3 founders who want to build the next generation of Web3. We think Web3 is synonymous with the internet. We think that that Web3 will just be synonymous with the internet over the next five to 10 years. And so anybody who wants to build the future of the internet, that's who we want to talk to. That's who I want to meet. Those are my people. Excellent. Gabriel, this was such a fun conversation. Thank you so much for just taking the time to do this. 
your early morning. I can't believe you got through yeah. this conversation as like the first thing of the day. Uh, so <laughs> super appreciate your time. And I'm sure our listeners will really enjoy all of your insights. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it, Leslie. Thank you so much. Uh, appreciate the time. It's been so much fun talking with you. The Crypto Unstacked podcast is meant for informational purposes only and should not be considered as financial or investment advice. Nothing expressed in this podcast should be construed as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Amber Group to buy or sell any financial products. Information expressed by the host or guest in this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of Amber Group.